Welcome to the St. Richard's Episcopal Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Rev. Cameron Nations. For more information, please visit strichards.org. So last week, I talked about Advent being the start of a new year. Here we're in the second Sunday in Advent and um, talked about how Advent's the start of a new year for us in the, in, in the church, um, not January 1. We don't do that. Well, I mean, we do do that, but it's a, that's a pagan holiday, okay? Uh, we, do, we do Advent, uh, and, um, and so we're in Advent 2. But I talked about last week how Advent is not just a countdown to Christmas, despite what your goody-filled calendar may indicate, you know, whether it's chocolate, I've got friends who've got jams in a calendar, um, there's a Lego Advent calendar, I believe. Whatever it is, don't eat the Legos uh, like you do the chocolate. <laughs> But whatever it is that's in your Advent calendar, Advent is not merely a countdown to Christmas, but it offers us an opportunity to look back at Jesus' first coming as a baby born in a manger in in Bethlehem, right? Um, By actually looking ahead at his coming again in glorious majesty at the last day, right? So as we're preparing our hearts for the Christmas story, we've got all of these readings um, that, that are apocalyptic, that are full of judgment and broods of vipers, right? And this sets up a tension inherent. Uh, I've talked about this in another sermon before, about uh, I think this is inherent to the Christian life, the tension that we live in as Christians, that we live in the meantime, in between, Christ coming to us as Jesus in the manger and Christ coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. We all live in the in-between. And the dot, dot, dot is we're waiting for, the, for that second thing to happen. The tension of the already but not yet. That God's kingdom is here with us, very near us at this very day, but also yet to come. And thus we are to live in this place of expectation and wonder and hope. And I talked last week about how visions of the last day are filled with judgment. Right? This language of judgment, but also with a depiction of God's restoration of all things. We saw it in last week's reading from Isaiah. We see it in this week's reading from Isaiah, where war is no more, pain and sorrow cease, where there's no more grief, no more loss, no more sickness, no more death, right? Beautiful vision of God's coming kingdom. And it got us thinking last week about this question of how knowing the end of the story impacts how we live today. Right, Because that's what we're really getting in these readings the first couple of weeks in Advent. We're getting the end of the story first, you know? Like, this is what's to come, and now we're going to go back. And and, and I talked about how it it does change how we view past circumstance when we know how it ends up, right? When we know how the story plays out, we can look back and we see events differently. And we're afforded that grace, (laughs) knowing how it ends and being able to look at our present circumstance and read it differently. And today, again, we are faced with this similar theme of judgment. This time, coming courtesy of John the Baptist, right? In our reading from the Gospel of Matthew, we get John the Baptist crying out of the wilderness, yelling, you brood of vipers, at the Pharisees and the Sadducees when they come forward to be baptized. He's talking about the wrath that is to come, that even now, he says, the axe is lying at the root of the tree. And that the trees that don't bear good fruit will be cut down and cast into the fire. 
Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> I mean, this is stark stuff, right? This is stark stuff. Now, last week, I talked, uh, because of our reading from Romans last week, it came via our reading from Romans, how Advent invites us to keep awake, right? To be knocked out of our spiritual complacency. And I'm telling you, John the Baptist is here this morning to make sure that we get that message, right? Make sure that it comes through loud and clear. Because for John the Baptist, the arrival of the Messiah is not merely a cause for celebration. It's also the apocalypse. Okay, it's not merely a cause for celebration. It's the apocalypse. And we have to remember that the word apocalypse means uncovering or unveiling, right? Which is why the last book of the Bible, the book about the end of things, is called revelation, right? The great revealing. It's the uncovering. And revelation is about that which will be revealed, uncovered at the end of time and in the final judgment of the world. And while all of this like talk of judgment might sound harsh or even somewhat foreign to our modern ears, apocalyptic literature, uh, of which actually there are numerous examples in scripture, is not just the end of the uh, the New Testament, um, just a lot of the writings of the prophets, I mean, Isaiah being one of them, um, have apocalyptic themes. And uh, apocalyptic literature does two really important things for the people of God, and I want to talk about those two things today. Apocalyptic literature names the demons, it names the demons, and it gives us hope. It offers us hope. Those are two things that apocalyptic literature does, and I want to talk about them this morning. Now, I've already kind of, you know, <laughs> sort of jokingly uh, talked about the intensity of the apocalyptic language that we see this morning and how incongruent <laughs> it may feel with our expectations of the sort of sweet images we have of Mary cradling the baby Jesus, you know. Um, we are no strangers to the phenomenon that John is getting at as incongruent as it may feel to us to hear about it during this season where we think about Mary tender and mild or that sort of thing, right? Now, I've heard a few sermons preached before, uh, not my sermons, I've not preached them before. This is not an allusion to something I've said, okay? Uh, but I've heard a few sermons preached before on, this, on, on the idea that our lives are just this cycle of death and resurrection, that the lives that we live are just a cycle of death and resurrection over and over again. Um, things that come to an end, but then something new rising up to take its place, right? And that this continues on and on throughout our lives. And, and I think that's right. I think our, our lives are comprised of a series of deaths and resurrections throughout our days. But I also think that our lives are filled not just with deaths and resurrections, but with apocalypses too, right? With apocalypses. Our lives are full of moments. What I mean by this is that our lives are full of moments where the cover gets ripped away and we see something for how it really is. And these apocalyptic moments are, are moments that recast our entire reality. Nothing is the same after the unveiling happened. And, uh, and nothing is the same after we deal with the truth that lies at the heart of what has been revealed. Now what I mean by this is, here's some examples. Finding out 
that your partner or spouse has been unfaithful. That is an apocalypse in one's life, right? Admitting that you were the one who was unfaithful, that's an apocalypse in one's life. Losing your job and discovering that financial stability was perhaps more illusory and fleeting than you once thought, that that can be an apocalypse in your life. Coming to the realization that you're an addict, that you need help, that you cannot do it on your own anymore, that is an apocalypse. You see, I actually believe we know these moments of unveiling really, really well. We all have them. We've all endured them and experienced them. We all carry with us, maybe you're experiencing it right now, an apocalypse in your life. And these moments name demons in our lives, don't they? They reveal things as they really are, even as sometimes we try as hard as we possibly can to keep the sheep over that thing, right? Even now, John says, the axe is lying at the root of the tree. You see, we feel it. We feel the presence of the axe at the root of the tree. We sense it. We know that calamity is there. That those things that feel stable and firmly rooted in our lives are always at risk of being cut down. And that the tool for their own undoing rests propped up against them, right? waiting. But in the midst of the apocalypses that define our lives is the opportunity for grace and hope and redemption. Remember I said apocalyptic literature does two things for the people of God. It names demons and it offers hope. And it does offer hope. Because when the veil is pulled away and we see with naked clarity the state and condition of our soul or, or whatever it is that has been revealed there, that is the moment when we are able to receive God's grace in its fullness. I think that's why Jesus says that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. In another context, there's a saying, right, that goes like this, that the first step is admitting that you have a problem. Right? And without the truth of that initial revelation, that initial uncovering, you cannot hope to make progress toward a new life. You see, once we have named the demon, once we've admitted to the problem, pulled back the veil, whatever uh, image, metaphor you want to use, and we've stared at the truth of our brokenness square in the face, that is the moment at which we both need and are ready for repentance. Repentance something John the Baptist really wants to get us to think about this morning. Now we need to repent, or we need to repent. We probably do. That is the point of the sermon. But what I meant to say was we need to remember that repentance uh, means to turn away, okay, or to head in another direction. And, um, and, and, and John the Baptist reminds us of this, that the direction to which we should always turn is back towards God, right? That's what it means to repent, to turn back towards God. And we don't need to forget that repentance is a means of grace. It is freedom. 
right? It's liberation. The truth will set us free. But the thing about it is you can't turn away from something if you don't know which direction that you were heading in the first place, which is why the uncovering is so important. That's why repentance is not something that we do just once or just one time a year in Lent, the other time that the purple vestments come out, right? Uh, no, instead, repentance is a continual process. It's part of the regular rhythm of the Christian life. It's something that we do again and again and again. And so if you hear nothing else this morning, I hope that you hear this. John's words, harsh as they may sound, that repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near is not a threat. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near is not a threat. It is an invitation invitation. It is an invitation to new life, an invitation to freedom from that which is most painful in our lives, freedom from self-deception and shame, freedom from our feelings of insecurity that we try to mask in countless ways, that we try to just keep covered up as much as we can. It's freedom from the resentment that keeps us shackled to our hatred, that cuts us off from relationships with others. And we often can get in a place where we know that our lives look like that of the Pharisees and Sadducees here, full of well-meaning and even faithful religiosity, but perhaps lacking in the spiritual fruit worthy of repentance that John calls us to. Yet Advent offers us a gift, a profound gift. I mentioned that last week too, how Advent has its own gifts to give, and one of them is this, that the season of Advent offers us an opportunity to fix our eyes on the vision of the peaceable kingdom described for us so beautifully by the prophet Isaiah, to disrupt our complacency, to search our own souls, to be honest, brutally honest with ourselves, and to see things as they truly are. Despite the busyness that often accompanies this season, Advent is a chance to recalibrate, to repent, to turn our attention back on what truly matters, back on the God who loves us, who cares for us, and who gives us life. Now, there are multiple trees that are mentioned in today's readings. I've talked about the one that the ax is at the root of. But there's another tree mentioned in Isaiah and then referenced again in Romans, and it's uh, this stump, this stump. A, a shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots, Isaiah says. Uh, now, if you're like me, you're probably pretty familiar with the Christmas story and what's to come in the weeks ahead, but you may be wondering, what in the world is this stump doing? Who is Jesse? Why is there a stump there? What is the importance of this, right? If you're wondering this, you're not alone, okay? But actually, this is pretty important. The details of this is pretty important. This is where I'm gonna end, us, uh, end with us today. Um, so Jesse is the father of King David, okay? King David, um, and you may recall in Luke's gospel, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary to tell, him, or tell her that she will bear a son, he says that, you, that, the, um, that your son will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David, okay? And so Jesus is part of David's and thus Jesse's 
family tree. That's the other tree that's present in today's readings. And we are told also that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, is descended from David. And that, uh, right, the holy family, they travel. Where do they go? They go from Nazareth to where is Jesus born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Okay, great. Good. All right. Yes, he's born in Bethlehem. Uh, And Bethlehem is crucial because it is called the city of David because that's where David and his father Jesse are from and where David was anointed by the prophet Samuel. And so this image of the stump, much like John the Baptist language, like the, the imagery that he conjures up here, is very stark. The tree's been cut down, right? It's been leveled. It's not there. It's just a stump in the ground. But, but, there is still life in it, isn't there? There is still life in it. From something that might appear dead, a shoot springs up. And from the roots, a new branch grows forth. And so from something in your own life that may seem broken, irreparably broken, cut down, maybe used for timber, firewood even, depending on how bad it is, right? New life is possible. New life is possible. And that new life is possible because someone comes to us who will put things right. As John tells us, this hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For service times or more information on St. Richard's, please visit strichards.org.